You're happy. You wouldn't be in any other place than here tonight. Amen. So glad, pleasure for Kelly and I to be with you and to be asked to come and to be received by you all in your response and coming to hear about the Lord Jesus tonight and this time of, of an equip. Equips are time where it's a little different to a church service in the morning because a gift that you want in Ephesians 4.11, gift that comes in is to both, number one, to impart to you truth that is governmental, that is instructive in the advancement of the church in what it's supposed to do. Secondly, to equip the saints so that you can be more active and effective in, in what God has called this church. And the church is represented here in different places around this garden route into something more that God wants to do. Um, I just really sense tonight, just picking up through the prayer meeting, that God wants to do something here. And I just simply want to say to you, would you allow him to touch you in a way that you haven't been before? And you say, in what way? Whichever way you want him to. His desire is to, is to work into and through his bride into this world in a very special way. And you can't do it now because he's done and given everything. And he's given that to the church, his bride. He's given it to us to be able to help you as pastors, as leaders among you, as elders, to help you get to that place. What happened in 220, we're not going back into 219. It's done. It's dusted. Forget about that. Look to the future. Kelly and I, we are in the upper ages of maturity, we, we've been through a few things in our lives and other nations, and we have seen those nations change, not the way we like them to. We've lived in them, we've been a part of them, but we cannot go back to that to try and find what we've lost to justify what we can want in the future. And sometimes the churches in the area of saying we can just stagnate, we want to happen what we read about in the past we, we just, it's not the way God wants. He goes from glory to glory, not glory from glory. He goes to something further on. And so we are challenged. So the sermons I'm preaching or what God has put on our hearts, not what I'm doing, what he is doing since 2020 into this year, I have seen totally different. I've sensed a greater anointing and intensity, a directness and authority, a purpose, a clear line, boundaries that I thought I'd never get to, walls that I never thought I'd break through. It just seemed to crumble like paper because of what you know, who you've been with, whom you've sat with, whom has spoken to you, how this word has opened up in a different way. And just the way God has put stuff inside of, for me personally, just trying to explain this to you, that he wants to break through and break into you in a greater way that you've never seen before. And I pray that each one of you as believers will experience things in the years to come where you will experience what is written in the book of Acts. It's not history. It's his story still to be told. It's his destiny, which he can only want to work out through this world. What, what, what humanity has offered humanity is nothing in comparison to what the great I am, the great Adonai, the Yahweh, the Yeshua, the God himself, Elohim, wants to present to us and give us to do. The church is what the world should be following. The church is what the government should be looking to, to be called to, to say, how do we handle this situation? We should be in that position, in our places, in society, wherever God has put you, as in, the, in your business, you should be a massive reference point to everyone that you influence and that's around you. That's how I see the church. You know, John chapter 9, it says here, verse 1, I'm just taking this as an introduction, as Jesus was passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth, he just... He passed the man who was blind from birth. He passed him by. He didn't stop. But his team, his disciples, asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus said, neither this nor his man nor his parents sinned, but the works of God should be revealed. So here's, you get the whole story. Someone born blind. The new team. 
the next generation, the next church, when he leaves, these guys are staying behind. The interns, the learner team, stops and says, hey, hey, hang on, Lord, what really happened here? Do we blame his parents or he sinned? Who has caused this? How do we deal with this problem? What is your perspective on the situation? Because what we have been trained and what we've learned in the past is we need to find out why this has happened. And Jesus says, not, nothing, neither. Forget it. Don't go there. It's for the glory of God. In other words, the disciples were stuck in the moment, but Jesus had moved on. Is that where the church is at? Is that where you're at? Stuck in a moment, and he's moved on, and you want to know why? What caused this? Who do we blame? Who do we point to? Who do we justify? How do we correct and understand our theology? And we answer all the questions, dot the the T's and cross the I's. You know that thing? Exactly. Exactly. Caught you. But he moved on. He says, it's got nothing to do with that. It's this. Put it this way. Are we driving down the highway, wondering where we're going, looking in the rearview mirror, to try and make sure we get where we're going to? So often we look at what has happened to work out what is going to happen. And I want to talk about what is going to happen. Is anyone sick here tonight? Sick in your body? Please just put your hand up. Just say, yeah, that's me. You're all totally healthy. Hand there, hand there, hand there. I'm talking to you tonight. You're going to walk out of here totally healed. If he says, I am the healer, and you come to him and you allow him to do what he wants to do to you, you can have what he wants to give you. If you'll accept it, you'll walk out totally healed in the name of Jesus. We don't go out of here hoping it's going to happen, wondering if it's going to happen, whether the prayer was good enough to satisfy what we think should be good enough for us to have, or do we actually take what God says and we believe what he says, because the hearing of the word is the beginning of a miracle. You can have your miracle tonight. I believe it. Absolutely. So it's going to be practical theory as well. So I'm going to Acts, if you'd come with me to Acts chapter 6. I want to bring to you tonight what I think needs to happen and has not been heard often. It's the reason why I wrote the book out there, The Apostolic Evangelist. And so I'm talking, if that's the title and you want to put it, Um, the second edition is waiting to be printed because I've learned new stuff since having written that thing in COVID, is is this, the apostolic evangelist, what is an evangelist? What is the work that he does? Sorry? Oh, sorry. So, what work do they do? How do they fit in? And it's the kingdom of God at hand. (laughs) I want to answer those questions. Okay? So, what is that? So, we look at Acts 6, and we find here, as we always do as church leaders, bring about the fact that this is how we bring deacons in. But I want to bring three verses, and this is how you grow in ministry. And so here is the beginning of an evangelist being born in ministry into the effect of becoming Philip, the evangelist we find in the book of Acts, way on in Acts 20. So what was the process that he grew in to become an evangelist? Secondly, what did he do to make sure that they could look over his shoulder and say, you're an evangelist because you never call yourself one? Thirdly, he worked an apostolic team. He worked with other leaders in the church not just himself, evangelists are not loners, well, they shouldn't be. Fourthly, how did they integrate as a team that operated in an area? Fifthly, how do they plant churches? Well, it's all here, and I'm not going to pick on each question and answer it. I'm simply just going to go through it, but those questions will be answered here. Why? Because we need evangelists more than ever. In the 30s, going back to since Azusa Street, there was tents roving around America, 300 at one time, tents, roving around wanting to do crusades. Evangelists were happened out of that revival. Evangelists happened. The reason, the, one of the root things about revival is win souls. That's a spin out of that. It's not for any other things to feel good, goosebump time. I'm so happy I'm on the floor, I'm in the spirit. No, it's to win souls. 
Out of that came what was then the word movement, which became the teaching ministry. Out of that, following the teaching ministry, came the pastoral ministry. And the pastoral ministry has been the seedbed of which every single church has been born into and from and how we plant churches is the pastoral ministry, which is a serving ministry to serve you to make sure that you get right with God. But the thing with that is it causes the individuals, the sheep, to become needy sheep where they need, need to feel right before they can do something. God is changing that. He's putting the fire of God into you. You put the Holy Spirit into you so that you no longer become feedy, but you become needy to the world because they need the message that you have. Then out of that comes the apostolic move, which is what we basically right into at the moment. Before that comes the prophetic ministry, the prophetic flow through the nation of this nation in the 80s and 90s. Now the 90s to the 200s now is up the apostolic. But we need to have the evangelists back. We don't hear about them because they're just not there because we're still pastorally fed churchy in that area. It's not wrong. It's just what God's doing. But there needs to be the resurrection of the evangelists. How many evangelists do you hear about names that you can quote off the top of your head in this nation right now? Not here, no. Ronald Bonke was. He was like the peak of that time. But since then, there's nothing. Why? Because we just don't talk about it. Where do they fit in? How do they flow? Why aren't they out there? Because you don't get what you don't sow. You need to sow that seed of around this thing of winning souls. And I'm talking about an evangelist in a way that Philip became. So the first point in Acts chapter 6 is this. Therefore, seek out verse 3. Point number one, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business of serving tables, etc., which was the reason why they had deacons in the church. And the other reason is that we will give ourselves, verse four, continually to the prayer and the ministry of the word. What's the function of an elder in the local church and what's the basic serving ministry? Function of an elder is to pray and minister the word. Elders, if you're not doing that, what are you doing? Why? Because you have got to feed the sheep. You've got to get that out there. But you need someone to serve, to help, to relieve the mundane administration, stuff that goes on. I believe every elder needs to have at least two deacons assigned to him so that the elder can do what he can do, and the rest can be done by these deacons who are learners that are coming in. That's Keir's perspective. Point number two, verse five and saying, the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Prochorius, full of faith and the Holy Spirit. First thing, pre-selection to be chosen as one of the seven. Pre-selection, be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Step number one, if you want to grow in the things of God, be ye full of the Holy Spirit. How do you know when something's full when it's overflowing? If it's not overflowing, it's not full. If you're overflowing in the Holy Spirit, it just oozes, comes from you. It just flows from you. The gifts flow. But if you're not full, you need to be filled. And yes, you need to be filled continually in the book of Acts is a continual, ongoing, present tense, future tense, being filled. Here, the second point, being selected they were, verse 4, and this pleased the whole thing, full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Notice the word faith. Faith is the thing that you need to grow into. Faith is the only thing that pleases God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. But if you're going through a hard time, you wonder where he is. But if you continually to diligently seek him in the hard time, he rewards those who, sorry, who seeks him. That's Hebrews eleven six right there. Faith, faith of that, and the Holy Spirit. Point number three is verse, verse eight. And Stephen, full of faith and power, third phase, full of faith and power, still their faith, but power, which is, let me come back to that, did great wonders and signs among the people. Being full of faith, or could be saying full of grace, as some Bibles say, and power. Grace, the grace gifts of God are found in 1 Corinthians 12. Prophecy, tongues, and interpretation, word of, word of knowledge, word of wisdom, discerning a spirit. Gift, visual, 
vocal gifts, power gifts, gift of faith, working in miracles, gifts of healing. The power gifts, power gifts are evident in the third phase. This man, Stephen, was walking in the power gifting group. He was exercising that, and hence, that's why it says there were signs, wonders, and miracles that happened from him. So how do you grow? You grow in these three areas, sword, oil, and fire. The book that's out there is on this, how you grow this, how we have found that we have grown in the anointing and the power and the confidence and the ability and the courage of doing what God has called us to do by seeing these kind of things that happen. So you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So if you're a young person wanting to grow in the ministry, this is it. But it's not the end because we're just talking about serving. Where is this done? It's done in the local church. We served, we've been elders in, in five different churches, deacon in one, in Zim, in Zim, and, and we served there, and, and we have been pastoring, we've grown in this, it's not an instant thing, it's a constant thing, it's a desirous thing, it's where you put yourself into that place saying, I want more, as a deer pants for the water, so my soul thirsts and longs after you. You just keep pursuing him in those things. Of course, Stephen gets killed because when you start to move out on the supernatural, you attract the attention of a devil very quickly. And the devil works through people who doesn't like it. The reason why there are very few evangelists or people that operate in signs and wonders is because of persecution. And when persecution comes, people give up and say, okay, I'm not going to touch that and they back off. Because when you start touching humanity where they're hurting and sickness and disease, it becomes very personal and very sensitive. And a lot of questions come. And if you don't have the answers and you don't feel the call of God, you will back away and retreat because you too get touched because of that thing called compassion, which is God's love in action through you. That compassion is a primary, primary I wouldn't say emotion, but it's something in us by the Spirit of God that causes us to act in a certain way that allows His power to flow through you. As Charles said this evening, reminding us in the prayer room, the riverbed of the supernatural is that compassion, faith and hope is where God flows. Whenever Jesus touched anyone, He was moved. He was moved with compassion by compassion. He was moved. In what way? To touch them and cause people to be healed. The message message of an evangelist is, I spend a long time on that, but let me just say this. If you'd highlight Isaiah 61 verse 1 and Luke 4 18, you'll find that they are exactly the same. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because upon me because. He's anointed me too. He's anointed me too. Set the captives free. Set their captives free. To, to open prison doors. Luke 4, 18 is different. It doesn't say open prison doors. Isaiah 61 says that, but not Luke 4, 18. It says to open the eyes that they may see the truth. And so what is the message of an evangelist? To bring revelation to the heart of humanity that they may see truth. And truth takes them is the key to unlocking them out of prison of unbelief, of deception by the devil of God and of Eden, and brings them into a place where they can believe God and get what he has. And the Spirit of God upon you does that. Psalm 119 verse 130 says, the entrance of your words brings light. The unfolding of your word brings light. To the simple, it says. So anyone can receive that, the unfolding of your word. And that's what preaching this gospel is, is to bring revelation truth into the hearts of people where the word of God comes to the heart. Only in the heart does the word of God unfold and give what it carries. See, the word of God that we have in our hands on our devices and not, it's just not a whole lot of ink on paper. Revelation is like when you read that word, the ink is just drying on that paper because it is like, ha, huh, I never saw that before. Yet you might have read it 10 years ago in another situation. But this time you read it and say, my gosh, I never saw. What's that? I see that now when you say to yourself. But it actually it's called revelation. When that revelation happens, something changes inside. See, religion is academic. It's information. Does you nothing. Keeps you into stagnation. 
But revelation keeps you in the flow of what God's doing. It's an opportunity for an encounter of God. I believe what we're going to bring to this world from now on is this power in God's Word. It's going to be spoken by people that have such a desire to know God and His Word, to study it, to bring it into themselves, not to keep it to themselves so that they may know and have a lot of theology, but they get the revelation of a simplicity that unlocks doors. A key is a little thing that opens a wide thing. So often we study the wide thing and we lose the little thing. It still stays locked. It needs to be opened. Are you all okay? Yeah. 1 Corinthians 15. This is the Nicene Creed. This is where the Nicene Creed was born out of. Is it 1 Corinthians 15? I think it is. 2. Yeah, it is 1. Where are you? Stop hiding. Come out, you ugly thing. 1 Corinthians. There we go. This is it. Listen to the gospel. It's the outline. You should preach this when you go out on the fields out there that are white until harvest. <laughs> Can I see a hand? No. This is where it should happen. So what is it? Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel. Here we go. Which I preached to you, which you received, and which I, in which you stand. Past, present, future. This is the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand. This gospel is about, it's on the move. You've you got to have it. The gospel, how does the gospel come? Preached. Not taught, not informed, preached. It's a trumpet sound. It's a, it's a reveille sound. It's awaken. Come alive. This thing is true. This thing has power. This is not just information that keeps you happy on a Sunday and you, keeps you away from feeling guilty if you don't attend church. It's not about attending church. It's about what happens to you when you're not attending a church on a Sunday. It's between Sundays. That's where the gospel happens through you to touch the whole of George and this area. It's not the moment. It's the momentum. The movement, the power, it's the ongoingness of this. We're not stuck. Whose fault is it? Is it because he's born this way? No, we forget that which has happened. It's about nothing, but the glory of God may be revealed. Be healed. Open your eyes. See, move, live. And he gets up and begins. You see, that, that's the power of this gospel. It's not for those few. It's for the believers to take this. You say, okay, how do you do that? Just do it. How did we do it? I don't know. There's such a fire in my heart. And my, when we first got saved, I just couldn't keep quiet. I was a slew scout. I was in the pub. I'd drink Cokes and witness to my teammates, higher rank, junior rank. What happened to you? I, I've discovered God. Don't you know him? You need to know him. And I had guys in the bush, got bullets in their heads. The next day, I led them to Jesus. We commemorated his funeral, and everyone puts their R.I.P. hurt, you know, R.I.P. And I'm saying, no, I'm seeing you again, Kurt. We're going to have a long chat in heaven. I know you're there. Because I was there when you made that choice, and the next day you got a bullet. See, it's that moment of capturing those things. The church awakened. The church dormant needs to become the church militant. So, here we're joining an army. You're in the army. You just need to dress up and get going. You need to pull out your weapons and... Destroy the works of the devil. Yeah, you destroy. That's aggressive. It's offensive. The works of the devil. By the way, Jesus died as a lamb. He's coming. Sorry. Yeah, he died as a lamb. He's coming back as a lion. He's not going to come back. Hello. Meh. Meh. I'm cute, eh? It's been a cute Christianity this, hasn't you? Don't you love me? No, he's coming back. Did you get my people? Did you save them? Did you kick the devil in the teeth? Did you give them a fat uppercut and knock the hell out of him? But he's going there, so leave it in him. This camera is so restrictive. I want to jump on you over there and, you know, force your ears so they go all cauliflower like you played rugby for a while. Just, I want you to awaken. Awaken to what God has put in you. This is not just a little information for the next few days because we've done an equip in 21. No, this is an equip that's going to shake 22. A few amens right there. 
by which you are saved, verse 2, in which you hold fast that word which I preached you unless you believed in vain. Do we believe in vain or do you know that you believe because there's a destiny and a future in you? Well, I'm not qualified. Yes, you are fully qualified. Everything inside of you that he's put inside of you that he has done for you, he's given to you. Now, let's go and honor him and bring honor and glory to him like we have just sung by doing what he's asked us to do. What happens when you do not receive an ambassador of a nation? You don't receive the nation. When you receive an ambassador, he doesn't stand there for his sake. He stands because of what's behind him. You reject him, it's a declaration of war on the one that he represents. My friends, you've got a whole kingdom of heaven behind you. And if anyone defies you for who you are as a Christian, they're declaring war on heaven. Not a good idea. And if Satan stands up and challenges you in your face, you just say, back down. The king, he's coming, and you know it. Get out of that person now. Set them free. See, there's no fear in Christ. You have all the armaments of heaven you have everything that he's given to you in the pages of this Bible. We need to believe it and do it. And he was buried. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And he was buried and that he arose again on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he was seen by Cephas and then by the twelve. And then five verses tell us by whom he was seen by because there's more testimony about the resurrection of the dead than there is about what he did before that happened. Yes, that's the story of him. So I'm getting back to Acts 8. Now we're going to Acts 8. Listen to this, verse, Acts 8 verse 1. Now Saul was consenting his death, was consenting to his death. At the time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen and to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc with the church. He made havoc, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Sounds like a rough time, doesn't it? Where are we at right now? It's been a bit of a rough time. Was it half time? We just take a breath and say, next round, please. Or do you say, no, I don't want to go there again. See, these guys were facing the same thing, but what did they do next? Regardless of what happened, they were scattered. Yeah, they, they fled. The tough, things were tough. Things didn't go the way they wanted. Whose fault is it? What do we do? Why has this happened? Who do we blame for this blindness? Or do we catch a vision of seeing what God wants us to move into? Because the very next verse, we had all this negative being scattered. Here it comes. Therefore, those who were scattered went about everywhere preaching the word. See, what they knew inside them, what was embedded inside them the whole time that they'd learned and they'd been in church and this lockdown, what have you been doing? Have you been studying this? Four books came out of lockdown. Why? I don't stay silent. If I can't preach like this, I'll preach on paper. That's why they're written for you. I didn't stay silent. What are you doing now? I'm doing my fourth degree. Why? Because I want to cause more havoc out there. Why do you need a fourth degree? Because I want to learn. I want to study. I'm humble. I want to know. I'm always being taught. I'm a student forever in my life to learn about him. It's okay. You've had years of ministry and you have this maturity and way of life. No, that's not good enough. I want to know more. <sighs> about him, and he is so big and magnificent. I tell you, it's a pleasure and a privilege reading and studying the Word of God. Many nations around the world just don't have this Bible in front of them. They can't get one. They've never had one. If they had one, they'd preach the heck out of that one page for 10 years. They'd get revelation out of it because they'd be forced to go into and say, God, show me, show me more. See, this word is so powerful. They went and preached the word everywhere. What did they say? I don't know, but they preached the word. Friends, I want to say this word. You need to know it. I went to a place in Zim. When I went back there in the 90s and I was invited somewhere around um, Masvingo and further south where those big rocks are when you drive up from Bightbridge 
in that area somewhere on the left. I don't know where it is. Please come and do a pastor's conference. How long? Um, I think it's going to be two days. Fine, I'm there. How many times do you want me to speak? Four times. Okay. Prepared myself, went down there, got there, set up camp. I was the only guy there, white guy there, preaching to these pastors. Guess what? I preached all four sermons on the first day, and there was another five days coming. Guess who panicked? Because I hadn't come with my set of scriptures. And guess what? Most of the time when you're in that kind of context, your set of scriptures that work there will never work here because somehow, yeah, that just doesn't fit. And so I panicked. I thought, well, what in the world am I going to preach? Because they asked me to come and preach. And I discovered six rocks that I went and dug out of the ground, and I put one on the ground, and I said, this is my first point of what I want to bring to you, which is repentance from dead works. I said, the second one is going to be tomorrow, faith towards God. The third one is going to be on baptism. That's going to take two days because you're going to need to be water baptized and Holy Spirit baptized, and we're going to baptize you in the dam down there, and then we're going to fill you with Holy Spirit afterwards. Demons manifest it because they don't like being drowned because you die. You're dead. Demons don't live in a corpse. That's what baptism is. You're dead. I am crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but the life I live in the flesh, I live in the faith of Christ Jesus. So demons, they can't, they can't tempt a corpse. That's what baptism is. You see, you preach that to them and say, ah, freedom. Then they get filled with the Holy Spirit. Then there's the laying on of hands. That's the fourth rock, fifth rock. Resurrection of the dead. Oh, my gosh. Everyone who's dead in Christ will rise first, and we are here when he comes. We'll go with them. But those who are not dead in Christ, they'll remain dead until the judgment day, which is the sixth doctrine. What have I just done, giving you the Hebrews 6 foundational truths on which every single church should be taught and know? What does an evangelist preach, or what do these guys preach? I think that. How do they learn it? Do you know it? Do you know it? If you don't, how dare you? How dare you not know it? Here you're being tough. No, I'm serious. How dare you don't know that because that's what you need to know. Because when you know that and you go out there and you lead someone to Christ, you lead them to truth on those things. You may not cover all sex, but you need to know it. And please don't turn around and say, well, I've never been taught it. No, it's your responsibility. Okay? Well, I've never been taught that, so how do I know? Well, you're a Christian, aren't you? Haven't you, haven't you got the Bible? What have you been doing? Have you been reading it? You've been watching too many podcasts and other things that are nice, ooey-gooey, bless me, touch me, increase me, make me a nicer person? Or are you really there because you're concerned, sorry I'm being harsh, really concerned about touching those people outside of there? This is a wake-up call, friends. Second thing, you okay? You have to be. <laughs> Then Philip, point number two here, went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. Then Philip, a person, went down, they all went to a city, some area, went to some area and preached Christ to them. Isn't it interesting that the good Samaritan is a little bit further on, Luke 10, and it's a whole story about the gospel picture in Samaria, and it's a little movie, I think, on the sideline here saying, there was a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell amongst thieves. Guess who that is? Adam left the presence of God, went into the war zone of the Satan, fell amongst the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. First walking down the road was the Levite. That's the law. Second one was the priest, the prophets. Both passed by on the other side of the road and couldn't touch him. Exactly. The whole of the Old Testament tells you your future and the, the coming of Christ and what sin is, the Ten Commandments, what you've broken. You broke number six and number eight. Sorry, I can't touch you. I can't help you. I don't have the power. I'm actually scared of the devil because I have no power over him. Here comes the good Samaritan, Philip. Comes down. He sees him. He feels compassion towards him. This is the gospel. He comes to him, turns his back on the devil because he has no fear of the thief. He pours in the oil, healing, the wine, salvation. He picks him up, puts him on a donkey, puts him on some vehicle, something that was the vehicle of honor for Jesus when he rode into Jerusalem. He did that. He took him to the innkeeper, the pastor of the church. And he said, by the way, I've paid for his sin. 
I'll pay for what the law and the prophets could do. I paid for what the priest and the Levite could not do. I took that upon the cross because they couldn't walk in it. And by the way, look after them. That's what we're doing, looking after them. And when I come back, I'll pay for anything. See, he talks about the second coming. That's the good Samaritan right there. Here he is in Samaria. So you want to know what the gospel is? You just got it. So he went to Samaria and preached Christ to them. What's Christ? Christ the anointed. Signs, wonders, and powers and miracles. That's what happened. Because here's Philip coming out of what Stephen lost. He picked up. He walked in the power and the Holy Spirit and the grace giftings. And he went to an area and exercised it. Yes, they ground roots evangelism. 2 Timothy 4.15. Do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry, Paul said to Timothy. So what every Christian should be doing is winning souls, and then you'll have a ministry. It's not that you want a ministry. It's the fact that you want to win souls. Because when you win souls, one-on-one, door-to-door, no pressure being a highfalutin evangelist or whatever, but the fact that you go and you win souls, the gifts of the Spirit will be resurrected in you, giving you the power to do what you can't do as you grow, as we found in Acts 6, those three steps of the Holy Spirit. How does that work here? We were saved three weeks. Go home to my farm in Rhodesia then, pre-Zim. I'm standing there with Kelly on the farm of the lawn. I see this lady and I said, hey, Kelly, I've got to go and talk to that lady. She says, why? I don't know. I just know there's something going on there. So I didn't know about the word of knowledge. So I walked up to her and said, ma'am, could we, could we chat to you? Come to the kitchen. We Walked through into the kitchen. I said, number one, you're sick. You've got a thyroid problem. I can see you've got a swelling. That's the thyroid. God wants to heal you right now. Secondly, your husband's messing around. I didn't know much. I wasn't very graceful. I said, you're in trouble with your marriage, aren't you? Boom, she starts crying. I thought, oh my gosh, what have I done? And you kind of backtrack because you don't realize what you're doing is actually the word of knowledge, but you're just trying to help her because of the compassion. So we prayed for her, healed her. God touched her and healed her. Things were restored, stuff went on with her and her husband. But that, why? It was born out of wanting to touch someone to bring healing to them. It's doing the work of an evangelist. And this gift, which I'd never heard of until about five years later, I didn't know what it was because no one told me. But that doesn't stop and limit God and what he wants to do. So that's how... Those work. But Philip preached Christ. Look at verse 16, verse 6. And the multitudes of one accord, accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. The preaching was hearing and also seeing the miracles. That's what happened and brought change, hearing and seeing the miracles. For unclean spirits were crying out with a loud voice, were possessed, and many were paralyzed, and lame were healed, and there was great joy in the city. The result of an evangelist here is the function of taking on cities. An evangelist has the ability to take on a city, attract a whole city to a meeting, so they all come and hear the gospel, and the city has changed. We've seen that happen in Mozambique in over a period of 12 years, back in the 90s, when just after Samora Michelle left and was allowed ministries to come back into that nation after 18 years of locking down churches, not allowing outside ministry in. I was one of the first to come in with others to come and preach, and what a joy it was. Absolute pleasure to see the people responding to the Word of God. But we went to towns, and the whole town would come out and listen to the gospel to such an extent that the police would come to us and say, when are you coming back again? Say so probably in two months' time. Why? Well, since you've been there, there has been no crime. Every child has gone to school. The hospitals are empty. There's no one sick. We have no crime in town. And husbands and wives are together, and they're also tilling the fields to plant crops. Peace and joy has come to this town. See, that's the result of this kind of gospel message that happens. But it doesn't stop there. Verse 14 now, when the apostles who were in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word, they sent to them Peter and John. Look at that. Well, when the apostle, apostles who were in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, when they had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John. 
They sent two other people down to help. Evangelist comes, preaches the gospel to any area. Jerusalem, the home church that sent him or he went from, keeps in communication. Peter and John, the apostolic and the prophetic, evangelist, when they hear that they've got the word of God, they sent these two men down. Can I say this? And I find this in the Bible, and this is one of the things that we are going to be moving into, and we are doing it right now, and I have done it before with other churches, is this, that the apostolic prophetic respond when the word of God has come into an area. Coming back to this, what does an evangelist do? He brings the word of God, keep saying that, into an area. Because then the apostolic and prophetic come. That's how you work in team. You see, your evangelist doesn't have it all. The apostolic and prophetic don't have it all. But the hand of God can grip a community. And all the time, that just does one thing. You'll never get a grip. You'll just prod it in a direction. The hand of God needs to come in. And I believe one of the things that we see in the momentum and the future of the church is teams working together in what I call power and power Power encounters, where they, they encounter the power of God, where the kingdom of God is at hand, where the change comes, the kingdom of God. It's another authority. It's another dimension that the church is going to move into with an authority working together as team. So they came down, and they worked together. And verse 25 is the next verse. So when they had testified... And preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many, many villages of the Samaritans. Verse 26, the angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go to the south road. And hence, you know the story with the eunuch. They all left. There's a time when it's all there, it all goes. What happens? There's a church there. It's a church plant. Because I believe Acts 14.23 happened there. Although it's mentioned with Paul, they prayed together sought God and who they're to set in as elders. And they laid hands on them and they committed them to the Lord in whom they trusted. You see, they committed the eldership to the Lord in whom they trusted. It was a vertical, the elders in Acts 14, 23, I believe happened here too. Because when a thing works, it's put in script. It worked. So the vertical communication, autonomous church happened. Friendship continued because they came back and visited those people. One other point. 1 Corinthians. Okay, where is it? 12.28. One Corinthians twelve twenty eight says this, and God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. After that, miracles and gifts of healings, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. And it goes on and says, are all prophets all talking about that? But I want you to see that first in the church are put in apostles, then prophets. So here's the thing. Philip goes to Samaria, it's not a church, it's an area, preaches the gospel, gets a whole lot of people, says, guys, we need help, we need the apostolic and the prophetic, they come down, when they heard the word, they then came down, they went in there, they established a church, and then they all left. In the church is put, apostles and prophets. Pre-church, who's there? Evangelists. How does an evangelist work with an apostolic team? Just told you. What does an evangelist do? He goes. He finds a place where no one's been before, where there's no real gospel New Testament church set. He preaches. He evangelizes. Then he says, right, we need to set a church in here because I have done my job. I win souls. That's what I do with signs and wonders. That's what we do. We win souls. But now we need to bring the foundation of the church in. So we call the people that know the word, the apostle and the prophetic, come down. And they work with the people with the word, set the church in place, and they all leave. Philip goes to another whole area, and Peter and John go back to their church, leaving a church planted. Because it says further on, and the church in Samaria prospered and continued to grow in strength and work with the Lord. 
So I believe in the future we need to see the fact that when we do church planting, it is a big event. It takes on cities. We need to take on towns around South Africa that are smallish at first, growing up into the size of Harrismith, growing up into the size of Benoni, Boxford, and places around the Cape, and take on towns, rent arenas, and really establish this. I believe that when you start doing crusades and wonders like crusades like we did in the past of Reinhard Bonnke, that there'll be at least 20 churches planted out of one crusade or one event like this. Has it happened before? Absolutely. Has it happened in your time, Kiam? I know I'm asking my own self questions here. Yes, because in Mozambique we did this. And I found a couple of men that were not part of anything that I knew. They were strangers. I said, what are you guys doing here? They said, are we planting a church? I said, really? Where? He says, no, we know what's going on here. I said, really, what's going on? He says, I know that these other pastors here, they're just going to go back to the churches and they're going to carry on, but we're going to plant churches at the end of this. I said, how do you do that? He says, we go to them and we know where they are already and we gather them and on Sunday we will plant a couple of churches. I said, how does, that's great, you know. Have you been doing this for a while? He says, remember that town you were in last month? Yeah, well, we planted three churches there. I look at them and he says, you kidding? You planted three churches? Yeah. So we gathered the people. You left. We came. They got the word, we came. I said, well, listen, here's my itinerary. This is where I'm going to be for the next two years. You make sure you guys are in every single town that I go to that you're there to do this. And they did. They planted churches continually behind me. The harvester, and here they came. I'm not saying they're apostolic or prophetic, but they caught something that was part of this. And it happened. We did two weekends ago place between Freyheit and Paul Petersburg in Nowhere Land, put a tent up, had a team of 20 from seven different churches, including AFM churches, come, uh, and such a diverse team, went there, and preached the gospel to a whole lot of people, 40-odd salvations. The Induna was there. The head of the police of that area was there. They saw what happened. They saw that healing happened to the people right there. They felt the love and compassion of God. They say, you have got your church license, and this is the piece of land for the church now. You got it today on Sunday. It happened within four hours. You see, God wants to move and do things. He wants to bring change. He wants that power to happen. Acts 21, last verse, verse 8. On the next day, we were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip the evangelist, who is one of the seven, and stayed with him. Now this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. Point number one, the difference and the fragmentation and splitting between Philip, who watched Stephen die, with the wimp Saul, previously Saul, holding the coats of the ones who were throwing stones. He saw his friend being killed under the authority of Saul. Philip could have said, I don't ever want to be a part of this kind of ministry again because you killed my friend. Therefore, I hate God. I hate what's going on. I don't like church. I don't like this. I'm walking away. No, no. Philip said, I'm pursuing God. God's going to sort him out. And God did. Saul became Paul. The differences of someone losing someone, hurting someone, ministry in the work of God with misunderstanding came together and something way bigger than themselves. Here they are. Paul is now coming to Philip's house, and he's welcomed in as a friend. Philip has a home. He has established. He has a base. He has kept up communication somehow with certain men in the ministry, and he's one of seven, not that seven in Acts 6. This is a new seven, a new seven of an apostle. It's moving forward. You don't stay in one place. You move forward. And the six, Stephen, that was six. Now it's seven. Seven of an apostolic team moving in an area of Samaria. Now Caesarea, they're moving on in the gospel. There was healing. There's endorsement, embracing unity, strength for the purpose of the kingdom. Things that happened in the past that hurt you, they both got over Saul repented. You can imagine how he felt. Philip losing Stephen. There was healing for the purpose of the kingdom. I love the fact that Philip was an evangelist, yet 
His daughters were not cookie-cutter evangelists like dad. They were separate, and they had their own giftings. They were prophetesses. They flowed in their giftings. I just want to encourage lead elders, the men that you raise, the women that you raise underneath you, allow them to be different to you. And if you're prophetic, they don't have to be prophetic. God can make them under you, but you nurture them in that area and release them in that area. And that's what happened in those areas there. How does an evangelist work like this? How do they operate? They operate with teams, and they move with what God is doing, and they can get things done quicker. And I want to encourage those of you who feel a call to an evangelist or to evangelism, you need to expose yourself to those who go and do the same thing. You need to see how it's done. We're doing a crusade this time next week in a township where we've been ministering to planting a church right there in Krugersdorp, and we're going to go open air and start preaching a crusade. And I've invited whoever wants to come from different churches to watch and know and grow and see how it happens. Amen. By ending off, I want to mention this. Whatever prophetic word that you've had over your lives, please pay attention to it. Whenever it's happened, it needs to be documented. It needs to be put into a prayer. It needs to be spoken as a prayer. And it needs to be personalized in your life. The prophetic words that Kenny and I received in Bronchospirate, um, in 75, 76, as I was asked to come down to South Africa to preach at Hatfield then at Ray McCauley's church, then met a prophet, didn't know who that animal was, didn't know they existed, ended up, ends up prophesying. And he said certain words over our lives that we are walking today and we keep ourselves in that track. You'll be sent to awaken the church to true Holy Spirit guidance You'll awaken them to revival. You're not called to the ministry as the ministry, but you're called to awaken ministers to minister. You'll be sent not only in this land, but you're sent in lands overseas. I'll send you to strategic pe people and places. Don't read every book that comes across your desk. Don't ever read everything. I'll show you what to read. I'll show you who to listen to. That's the prophetic words. We still do that. Every year we make sure we do that. Another prophetic word. And there will be a time when you will be at a crusade and people will bring sick in wheelbarrows and they'll be brought there in the wheelbarrow, but they'll go home pushing the wheelbarrow. 219, that thing happened. It was prophesied in the 80s. You see, things happen. When that season is ready, that word lands. We sometimes chuck it out and say, well, when's that ever going to happen? Well, you haven't got to the season for that thing to land. And those things happen talked about a healing gift and talked about those things. And yes, we keep that. Yes. And that happens. 